0: The FIFA Football World Cup is getting to the pointy end and some historic wins are being clocked up. 130 years. Yep, that's how long it's taken for New Zealand rugby to have its first female board chair. And NZR could be pressured to make an early decision on the next All Blacks coach after the World Cup. Plus, we explore the twists and turns of speed cubing. Kia ora Atero, I'm Zoe George and this is The Podium Sports news, but not as you know it, from stuff. Well, the excitement is slowly ratcheting up as we are down to the last date in the FIFA Football World Cup. Our World Cup reporter, Phil Rollo, has been watching as some of the historic records are broken. Kia ora, Phil. Welcome to the podium. Let's talk Morocco first.
1: Yeah, Morocco, the underdogs. Uh, the, there's always... Some shock results of the World Cup, but there's usually always a team that goes pretty deep into the tournament that you don't expect it to be. I don't think too many people would have expected Morocco to get as far as they have. They've knocked out Spain, one of the, the pre-tournament favourites.
0: You know, Morocco is the first Arab-speaking nation to make it through.
1: Well, I think the interesting thing, yeah, is this World Cup's being held in Qatar. Obviously, the host nation did absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I think they might get the support from, from the region and... You know, if they can create a like a home crowd sort of atmosphere, you know, maybe that could be the key to to getting a win against Portugal.
0: Ooh, wow, exciting times! England, France, reigning world champs. Is England going to win? This
1: is actually the toughest one to pick for me. I think of of yeah you know, of all the games, there's sort of like a clear favorite. This one, I I think it could go either way. France have Mbappe, who's You know, arguably the best player in the world at the moment. He's so electric. He's the top goal scorer at the tournament. But I think England actually have a really well-rounded team. Um, And Jude Bellingham, the 19-year-old midfielder, has been sort of the breakout star of the World Cup so far.
0: 1966. Is that the last time England won the World Cup? Let's just not mention it. Uh, Brazil and Argentina, the South American powerhouses, also likely to go through to the semis.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. They definitely, if those two can make it through to the semi-final, they'll. You know, what a game that would be. Brazil have just been unbelievable at the World Cup so far, and they're dancing. After all their goals, they do incredible um, dance celebrations, and even the coach was involved doing a little pigeon dance on the sidelines. <laughs> so that's what you want from Brazil. You you want them to play with all that flair um, that's synonymous with, with Brazilian football. They look like they're having fun, and I think that's a danger to all the other teams and yeah, of course, Argentina, everyone wants Messi to get to the final. They want him to win the World Cup, but the two heavyweights, if they get through this next round, they're, they're going to potentially clash in a, in a semi-final.
0: Oh, speaking of Messi, there's a bit of a Kiwi connection going on.
1: Yeah, this is a pretty funny story, the World Cup. Um, so we Australia played Argentina, and... At the World Cup, especially with the the minor sort of nations, everyone always wants to get the shirt of the, the star player. So Australia versus Argentina, everyone wants Messi's shirt. Cam Devlin, who um, spent a couple of years at the Phoenix, he didn't play a single minute for Australia during the World Cup. After the game, he noticed none of his teammates had gone up to Messi and asked for his shirt yet, and he thought, well, why not try my luck? He asked Messi. Messi said, sure, I'll meet you in the tunnel after the game. And then yeah, FIFA released the footage of it. A fairly sheepish or nervous-looking Cam Devlin swapping shirts with, with Messi. Um, and the crazy thing with this shirt is it was Messi's thousandth, 1,000th professional game. He also scored in it. That shirt, to me, I think would be worth millions of dollars. I think Cam Devlin has his retirement fund sorted. What a
0: great story. I love these stories. Phil, thanks so much. More action to come in the FIFA Football World Cup. We'll chat next week. Paul Eiffel is a former Phoenix and top-flight British footballer who's also played for Barbados. He joins us now from Masterton. What's your take on the World Cup, and what stood out for you in the competition so far?
2: I think I think it's been great. Um, you know, we're up to the quarterfinal stage. Um, for me, you know, this is where it gets really exciting. The group, st- group stage is, is cool when you get games every day. There's been a few upsets, but I think this is where you get the, the cream of the crop. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to all of those those quarterfinals. I'm expecting a couple of upsets. Uh, I'd like to see. Lionel Messi go all the way and Argentina win it. I don't think they're quite good enough. I don't think the rest of his supporting cast are quite good enough. Um, and I expect the Brazilians to maybe take it out.
0: Interesting that you talk about Messi, and we've also got Ronaldo in there as well, but he's kind of struggled to hold it together. Uh, Has his behaviour tarnished his reputation, and is this the end for Ronaldo?
2: Yeah, I don't think it's quite the end. I think he's going to carry on for another couple of seasons. Has it tarnished it? It has right now. I do think we'll look back in 10 years, and he'll still be regarded as one of the best. I look at what happened with Zinedine Zidane, when he the, the famous headbutt, in his last ever World Cup game. And I remember at the time, everybody said, he's tiniest his legacy. Oh my God, it's going to be, you know, there will be so much fallout. And yet 10 years later, 15, he's like, everybody's saying he's still one of the greatest of all time. And what a way to go out. And he shouldn't have disrespected his sister, blah, 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 blah. So uh, at the moment, yeah, it's a it's hot, hot topic, but I do think um, it will it will die down and he'll go and play his last couple of years out. And, and people will forget about it. It's, it's, it's really exciting right now because I think you've got Camp Messi and Camp Ronaldo. And, Messi would never do this, um, but but Ronaldo clearly would, and I think that's why a lot of people like Ronaldo because he, you know, he doesn't sit on the fence. He says what he wants to say, he does what he wants to do. Um, and I, I'm camp Messi, but that's maybe my personality, um, unfortunately, or fortunately, other than which way you look at it.
0: Why are you camp Messi?
2: I think Ronaldo is is ridiculous. What he's done is numbers, but I think there's other players that can do some of the things that Ronaldo can do. Whereas when I watch Messi, he does things in games where I'm like. I don't even know what that is. I don't know how he just did that. And every game, I sort of I'm off my seat with Messi, and I don't I don't always get that with Ronaldo. Um, it's it, it's tight. You're splitting hairs at, at the top of the table. It's, it's, it's difficult.
3: And
0: what about these new forces that are emerging from Asia and African teams, going from strength to strength?
2: Uh, Morocco have been have been class. Um, you know, to to get through to the quarterfinal to knock Spain off. Um, you know, Spain were many people's favourites. Were playing great stuff, and Morocco proved that you don't always need to have the ball um, to be able to win a game of football. You know, I think their possession stats were pretty low, uh, you know, Spain outpassed them, kept the ball, but ultimately the game is about putting the ball in the back of the net. And, uh, when it came down to penalty, Spain couldn't do that. And, and Morocco did. And, and, and what was quite funny was the guy who scored the winning penalty was actually born in Spain. And and turned out for Morocco, so that was uh, that was a little bit spicy, uh, spicy way to finish. But hopefully they can they can go on and become the first African team to make a semi final.
0: Do you think that um, this World Cup's captured the attention of people that you know we're as excited about this World Cup as we have been previously, and and having the event in Qatar has affected the competition in any way?
2: I think it has affected it, and I think a lot of people were you know I'm going to boycott it. Uh, you know this is not for me, and, and I completely understand their stances on that um but i my stance was it's been awarded nothing's gonna change from now um we should be looking at how we do things differently moving forward but You know, I love football and it's the best football you're going to get so I wasn't going to be boycotting um, whether that's right or wrong but I just wanted to watch the best football that was on offer at the time and and it's been been great The
0: wonderful thing about football though is that it is a global game, we've got the FIFA Women's Football World Cup coming to New Zealand next year which is super exciting but you've also been out and about in Vanuatu doing some work with players over there, what's been going on?
2: Yeah the British High Commission uh, contacted me a few weeks ago and and asked if I'd come out and it was kind of like a diplomatic sort of mission, uh, sort of using the power of sport to sort of connect people. And it was, it was an odd email, and it was one of those emails where I thought, this is a scam. Um, you know, what's going on? Why would they want me to go out to Vanuatu to speak to anybody? Um, but once I sort of investigated it further, I realised that it was, it was, you know, the, the real thing, and, and I was only too happy to get out there. Oh,
0: magnificent. Paul Eiffel, thank you so much for joining us on the podium. 130 years. Let me spell that out clearly, 130, three zero years. That is how long New Zealand Rugby Union has been in existence and that's how long it's taken to have its first female board chair. It's also how long women have been playing rugby in New Zealand. Late Wednesday, New Zealand Rugby announced the appointment of former Governor-General Dame Patsy Reddy as board chair after Stuart Mitchell, quote, elected to step down after serving 20 months in the role and nine years on the board. Dame Patsy was elected to the board in April along with Rowena Davenport, the former board chair of the Otago Rugby Union, bringing the grand total of women on the board to three. So why is this a big deal? New Zealand rugby is the only major sports body in New Zealand not to reach the government-required 40% women-on-boards quota. They need just one more to hit it. They've already lost $280,000 in government funding and will lose close to $600,000 if they don't reach it by the next AGM in April 2023. So can New Zealand rugby reach the quota? Every other sports body in New Zealand's been able to do it. That's the $600,000 question. Mitchell has left an elected position opening, meaning it's up to the 26 provincial unions to put someone up and vote for them. Can they do it? Only time will tell. Rugby bosses in the Northern Hemisphere have been doing a bit of spring cleaning when it comes to coaches. Both Wales and England have decided it's time for a new broom. Rugby reporter Rob Van Royen, what are the implications for New Zealand and why sack coaches now?
4: If you don't do it now, then it's, um, it's, it's leaving it a little bit too late, isn't it? You really don't want to be doing it uh, within a year. I mean, some would argue that even doing it now is, is leaving it a little bit too close. In terms of Wales and England, they've both had... Rough runs of results, and I guess they've, you know, uh, management have bit the bullet and decided. Look, we're gonna, we're gonna act now. In Wales's case, you know, Warren Gatland goes back. Fellow Kiwi Wayne Pivak goes out. They know what they're getting with Warren Gatland. He, he had a good run with them. He's obviously had a lot of success with the British and Irish Lions. So yeah, look, they know what they get with Gatland, and they've uh, they've bit the bullet basically.
0: England, Eddie Jones is gone. Have they got someone lined up, or will they be looking to New Zealand for some talent?
4: Yeah, indeed they do. Steve Borthwick, um, former England captain, and he's actually worked under Eddie Jones for, for seven years, both with uh, Japan and England. Um, Leicester Tigers coach nowadays. Uh, he, he's set to take over, and it looks like he'll be announced as their head coach in, in the next week. Um, look, there's been a lot of chat out of England, linking all sorts to to that role. Um, include, uh, after the World Cup, even before Eddie Jones was sacked, there was talk of, look, who is the next coach going to be Scott uh, Robertson, Rodin O'Gara was linked, Warren Gatlin was even linked. Um, But yeah, look, Steve Borthwick looks set definitely to take them through uh, until the World Cup.
0: Um, Rob, you mentioned there Scott Robertson, Razor Robertson, the Crusaders coach. He's flagged well and truly that he wants to be leading an international team. So what sort of pressure is going to come from New Zealand rugby, you know, with the changes up north? But they seem to be having a ripple effect down south on New Zealand rugby.
4: New Zealand rugby, they have to change. They can't go down the old... Uh, route of of point of waiting until after a world Cup and appointing a coach, it just simply doesn 't work and it didn 't work last time today so they, they can 't expect thirty people to come knocking on the door. The timing of it just doesn 't work. You need to be doing it before the world Cup so essentially you know new Zealand rugby if they don 't want to lose candidates like Scott Robinson and Jamie Joseph is another one, um, him and Tony Brown are. Are keen to have another crack at it no doubt about it so if they don't want to lose those candidates they're going to have to appoint make an appointment do the appointment process at some stage next year probably you know halfway through the year kind of thing before the world cup these these guys can't wait they're going to get other options and offers and they can't just wait around until the end of next year because you know if they don't get the job, they, um if they, if they miss out on the All Blacks, for instance, then what? So, yes, we know Scott Robinson's contracted to the Crusaders till twenty twenty four, but there's that out clause. If he has to wait, he's not for the All Blacks job. He's not gonna. He can't wait around till after Christmas.
0: And is there any sniff that New Zealand Rugby is listening that they might move earlier?
4: Yeah, I think there, I think there is. I think there's the, the there is some growing noise and some. Uh, yeah, a bit of an inkling that it's going to happen potentially. Look, potentially stay tuned even in the next couple of weeks for some further developments. Uh, before Christmas on what could be could be happening. Um, I think I think they realise that they have to they have to do this. They can't and um they can't wait around. Um, look that it's a it's it's a tough one no matter what. I mean, if they uh, I mean this obviously would create uh. The possibility of them appointing someone else other than Ian Foster uh, beyond the World Cup, and then Foster could potentially guide them to a to a title. Um, look, that's just the way it is. They, they again, as I said before, they have to bite the bullet and uh, give give these other guys a, a crack. Otherwise, they're going to be gone.
0: Cricket season. Isn't that right stuff, sports journalist and resident cricket fan Ian Anderson? It's always
3: cricket season.
0: (laughs) Love cricket. Let's start with home soil action with the White Ferns in Bangladesh. It was a clean sweep for the Ferns last night with the T20 series, winning by 63 runs. Leah Tahuhu, player of the series.
3: Yeah, obviously, the lack of a New Zealand contract doesn't seem to bother the uh, the veteran pace bowler. Very impressive against. Bangladesh in, in all three matches, just far too good for their top order.
0: So what does this now mean for their prep for the T twenty World Cup in February?
3: Yeah, I think it's almost impossible to gauge really as Bangladesh are such a long way still off the level of the top sides. You know, it's game time for the White Ferns, but really not too much else. I mean, the tried and trusted have done well to who occur Sophie Devine. Um the young spinners continue to develop nicely, but Georgia Plummer and Rebecca Burns haven't taken their chances yet. Mm,
0: and we've got the ODI starting Sunday at the Mighty Basin Reserve, my favourite spot. When the toss and bat or bowl first?
3: Batting first is probably likely. as it guarantees you as close as possible to, to getting 50 overs in of, of one format? Mm,
0: Yeah, they need some game time. Uh, And don't forget that the Super Smash starts in a couple of weeks too, which will be great preparation for the White Ferns when they head into that World Cup. Um, Let's go international now. England versus Pakistan. What is going on? What are they doing differently?
3: Yeah, the aggression in their batting is, is the major thing, I guess. No one has scored at the run rates they're producing in Test cricket history, really. I mean... Brendan McCullum and, and uh, Ben Stokes have turned Zach Crawley from the edge of Test cricket wasteland into a dynamic opener. Joe Root is batting left-handed and reverse sweeping bowlers. And, you know, it's not even really a continuation of what they did um, against the Black Caps early on this year. It's uh, it's an acceleration, really, and obviously also there was that very generous declaration against Pakistan in that first Test because. As McCullum says they don't fear losing. Don't
0: fear losing. Um, is it a totally different team? Has it they've got the vibe going? Can they be, you know, test champions?
3: It's all about the vibe, isn't it? <laughs> Hold on, no, that's Australia, and that's not England. But
0: <laughs> um, and do you think other nations will follow the lead of Brendan McCallum's coach and Ben
3: Stokes? Well, I think this is one of the interesting things too. Is that it's we're reading a lot of articles from the UK Juno saying this is how this is changing world cricket, how it can mm-hmm. save Test cricket, which I, I'm never sure always needs saving, and yet no one else is playing like it. Um, you watch the. Aussie versus the West Indies today in the second test, it'll be a very recognisable very, very recognizable form of test cricket as we know it, Captain. Um, and, and I can't really see a black cap slide featuring you know, Tom Latham, Devon Conway and Kane Williamson in the top order under the guidance of Gary Stead following suit in Pakistan later this month. That would be a major oh, surprise.
0: well, yes. Interesting times. Yay for cricket. Thanks so much, Ian Anderson. It's rather hip to be square. Go on, groan at my terrible pun. Just ask the competitors in this weekend's New Zealand Speedcubing Nationals, an event sanctioned by the World Cube Association. Yes, it's a thing. But what exactly is speedcubing and is it something everyone can do? Competitive speedcuber and soon-to-be international speedcubing commentator, whoa, that's a bit of a mouthful, James McDermott, We'll be in Auckland for the Nationals this week before flying off to the first ever Oceania Speed Cubing champs in Melbourne next week. James, welcome to the podium.
5: Hi, great to be here. Is
0: it like a Rubik's
5: Cube? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we use um, puzzles that are like the classic Rubik's Cube you're familiar with, but they're made to, I guess, turn a bit faster and be a bit easier to solve quickly.
0: And what's the fastest time?
5: Um, so the fastest time that anyone solved the classic 3x3 in, in a competition is 3.47 seconds.
0: How do you commentate something that fast? And they are off and they're done.
5: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So for a solve like that, you wouldn't be able to see too much. I guess um, when you've been doing it for like, you know, a few years, like uh, most of us have, you can see a bit more. But um, most people will be solving in sort of around like 8 to 15 seconds, something like that. So you've got a bit more time to commentate on that sort of in that sort of time frame.
0: Wow, I mean it takes me days. I don't think I've ever solved a Rubik's Cube. So what what are some tips and tricks to trying to solve one? Yeah,
5: I mean I guess most people um, who go to our competitions they probably didn't figure it out themselves. Most people these days would just look up a tutorial on YouTube or something or they even include instructions I think in the box. The Rubik's Cubes come with these days. And I think anyone can do that with just a bit of time and practice really.
0: I mean are speed cubers athletes <laughs>
5: I don't know. I don't think it's a very physical thing, which I think athlete sort of uh, implies. But um, it's definitely a similar sort of thing where, you know, you're, you're practicing for hours and hours and really just working on improving this one skill. So it has a lot of similarities, but I wouldn't use that term personally.
0: Well, good luck through all the twists and turns. And that's the podium. I'm Zoe George and on behalf of our guests this week, producer John O. Williams and Philippa Tolly, and audio editor Connor Scott, thanks for listening. You can get in touch with us. Email the podium at staff.co.nz. Who's gonna win? France or England? Ah, oh, come on, England. 1966. You can do it. <laughs> we'll see you next Thursday. Namihi, go well.